Section 11 of The Letters of Mark Twain Complete. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The Letters of Mark Twain Complete by Mark Twain. Volume 2. Chapter 10. Letters. 1870 to 71 mark twain in buffalo marriage the buffalo express memoranda lectures a new book samuel l clemens and olivia langdon were married in the langdon home at elmira february 2 1870 and took up their residence in buffalo in a beautiful home a wedding present from the bride's father the story of their wedding and the amusing circumstances connected with their establishment in buffalo have been told elsewhere mark twain a biography chapter seventy four mark twain now believed that he was through with lecturing two letters to redpath his agent express his comfortable condition to james redpath in boston buffalo march twenty two eighteen seventy dear red i am not going to lecture any more forever i have got things ciphered down to a fraction now i know just about what it will cost us to live and i can make the money without lecturing therefore old man count me out your friend s l clemens to james redpath in boston elmira new york may ten eighteen seventy friend redpath i guess i'm out of the field permanently have got a lovely wife a lovely house bewitchingly furnished a lovely carriage and a coachman whose style and dignity are simply awe-inspiring nothing less and i'm making more money than necessary by considerable and therefore why crucify myself nightly on the platform the subscriber will have to be excused from the present season at least remember me to nasby billings and fall redpath's partner in the lecture lyceum luck to you i'm going to print your menagerie parton and all and make comments in next galaxy i give nasby's friend and mine from philadelphia john quill a literary thief a heist yours always and after mark the reference to the galaxy in the foregoing letter has to do with a department called memoranda which he had undertaken to conduct for the new magazine this work added substantially to his income and he believed it would be congenial he was allowed free hand to write and print what he chose and some of his best work at this time was published in the new department which he continued for a year mark twain now seemed to have his affairs well regulated his mother and sister were no longer far away in st louis soon after his marriage they had by his advice taken up residence at fredonia new york where they could be easily visited from buffalo altogether the outlook seemed bright to mark twain and his wife 
during the first months of their marriage. Then there came a change. In a letter which Clemens wrote to his mother and sister, we get the first chapter of disaster. To Mrs. Jane Clemens and Mrs. Moffat in Fredonia, New York, Elmira, New York, June 25, 1870. My dear mother and sister, we were called here suddenly by telegram three days ago. Mr. Langdon is very low. We have well nigh lost hope, all of us except Livy. Mr. Langdon, whose hope is one of his most prominent characteristics, says himself this morning that his recovery is only a possibility, not a probability. He made his will this morning, that is, appointed executors, nothing else was necessary. The household is sad enough. Charlie is in Bavaria. We telegraphed Monroe and Company, Paris, to notify Charlie to come home. They sent the message to Munich. Our message left here at eight in the morning, and Charlie's answer arrived less than eight hours afterward. He sailed immediately. He will reach home two weeks from now. The whole city is troubled. As I write, at the office, a dispatch arrives from Charlie, who has reached London, and will sail thence on twenty-eighth. He wants news. We cannot send him any. Affectionately, Sam. P.S. I sent three hundred dollars to Fredonia Bank for Ma. It is in her name. Mrs. Clemens herself was not in the best of health at this time but devotion to her father took her to his bedside, where she insisted upon standing long, hard watches, the strain of which told upon her severely. Meantime, work must go on. The daily demand of the newspaper and the monthly call of the memoranda could not go unheeded. Also, Bliss wanted a new book, and met Mark Twain at Elmira to arrange for it. In a letter to Orion, we learn of this project to Orion Clemens, in St. Louis, Elmira, July 15, 1870. My dear brother, per contract, I must have another 600-page book ready for my publisher January 2, and I only began it today. The subject of it is a secret, because I may possibly change it. But as it stands, I propose to do up Nevada and California beginning with the trip across the country in the stage. Have you a memorandum of the route we took, or the names of any of the stations we stopped at? Do you remember any of the scenes, names, incidents, or adventures of the coach trip? For I remember next to nothing about the matter. Jot down a fool's cap page of items for me. I wish I could have two days' talk with you. I suppose I am to get the biggest copyright this time ever paid on a subscription book in this country. Give our love to Molly. Mr. Langdon is very low. Your brother, Sam. The biggest copyright mentioned in this letter was a royalty of 7.5%, which Bliss had agreed to pay on the retail price of the book. The book was Roughing It though this title was not decided upon until considerably later. Orion Clemens eagerly furnished a detailed memorandum of the route of their overland journey, which brought this enthusiastic acknowledgment. 
to orion clemens in st louis buffalo eighteen seventy dear brother i find that your little memorandum book is going to be ever so much use to me and will enable me to make quite a coherent narrative of the plains journey instead of slurring it over and jumping two thousand miles at a stride the book i am writing will sell in return for the use of the little memorandum book i shall take the greatest pleasure in forwarding to you the third one thousand dollars which the publisher of the forthcoming book sends me or the first one thousand dollars i am not particular they will both be in the first quarterly statement of account from the publisher in great haste your obliged brother sam love to molly we are all getting along tolerably well mr langdon died early in august and mrs clemens returned to buffalo exhausted in mind and body if she hoped for rest now in the quiet of her own home she was disappointed as the two brief letters that follow clearly show to mrs moffat in fredonia new york buffalo august thirty one seventy my dear sister I know I ought to be thrashed for not writing you, but I have kept putting it off. We get heaps of letters every day. It is a comfort to have somebody like you that will let us shirk and be patient over it. We got the book, and I did think I wrote a line thanking you for it, but I suppose I neglected it. We are getting along tolerably well. Mother, Mrs. Langdon, is here and miss emma nye livy cannot sleep since her father's death but i give her a narcotic every night and make her i'm just as busy as i can be am still writing for the galaxy and also writing a book like the innocents in size and style i have got my work ciphered down to days and i haven't a single day to spare between this and the date which by written contract i am to deliver the manuscript of the book to the publisher in a hurry affectionately sam to orion clemens in st louis buffalo september ninth eighteen seventy my dear brother oh here i don't want to be consulted at all about tennessee i don't want it even mentioned to me when i make a suggestion it is for you to act upon it or throw it aside but i beseech you never to ask my advice opinion or consent about that hated property if it was because i felt the slightest personal interest in the infernal land that i ever made a suggestion the suggestion would never be made do exactly as you please with the land always remember this that so trivial a percentage as ten per cent will never sell it it is only a bid for a somnambulist i have no time to turn round a young lady visitor schoolmate of livy's is dying in the house of typhoid fever parents are in south carolina and the premises are full of nurses and doctors and we are all fagged out yours sam miss nye who had come to cheer her old schoolmate had been prostrated with the deadly fever soon after her arrival another period of anxiety and nursing followed mrs clemens in spite of her frail health 
devoted much time to her dying friend until by the time the end came she was herself in a precarious condition this was at the end of september a little more than a month later november seventh her first child langdon clemens was prematurely born to the rev joseph h twichell and wife of hartford mark twain characteristically announced the new arrival to rev joseph h twichell and wife in hartford connecticut buffalo november twelve seventy dear uncle and aunt i came into the world on the seventh instant and consequently am about five days old now i have had wretched health ever since i made my appearance first one thing and then another has kept me under the weather and as a general thing i have been chilly and uncomfortable i am not corpulent nor am i robust in any way at birth i only weighed four and a half pounds with my clothes on and the clothes were the chief feature of the weight too i am obliged to confess but i am doing finely all things considered i was at a standstill for three days and a half but during the last twenty-four hours i have gained nearly an ounce of voidupois they all say i look very old and venerable and i am aware myself that i never smile life seems a serious thing what i have seen of it and my observation teaches me that it is made up mainly of hiccups unnecessary washings and colic but no doubt you who are old have long since grown accustomed and reconciled to what seems to me such a disagreeable novelty my father said this morning when my face was in repose and thoughtful that i looked precisely as young edward twichell of hartford used to look some months ago chin mouth forehead expression everything my little mother is very bright and cheery and i guess she is pretty happy but i don't know what about she laughs a great deal notwithstanding she is sick a bed and she eats a great deal though she says that is because the nurse desires it and when she has had all the nurse desires her to have she asks for more she is getting along very well indeed my aunt susie crane has been here some ten days or two weeks but goes home to-day and granny fairbanks of cleveland arrives to take her place mrs fairbanks of the quaker city excursion very lovingly langdon clemens p s father said i had better write because you would be more interested in me just now than in the rest of the family clemens had made the acquaintance of the rev joseph hopkins twichell and his wife during his several sojourns in hartford in connection with his book publication and the two men had immediately become firm friends twichell had come to elmira in february to the wedding to assist rev thomas k beecher in the marriage ceremony joseph twichell was a devout christian while mark twain was a doubter even a scoffer where orthodoxy was concerned yet the sincerity and humanity of the two men drew them together their friendship was lifelong a second letter to twichell something more than a month later shows a somewhat improved condition in the clemens household to rev twichell in hartford 
Buffalo, December 19, 1870 Dear J. H., All is well with us, I believe, though for some days the baby was quite ill. We consider him nearly restored to health now, however. Ask my brother about us. You will find him at Bliss's publishing office, where he has gone to edit Bliss's new paper, left here last Monday. Make his and his wife's acquaintance. Take Mrs. T. to see them as soon as they are fixed. Livy is up, and the prince keeps her busy and anxious these latter days and nights. But I am a bachelor upstairs, and don't have to jump up and get the soothing syrup, though I would as soon do it as not, I assure you. Livy will be certain to read this letter. Tell Harmony, Mrs. T., that I do hold the baby, and do it pretty handily, too, although with occasional apprehensions that his loose head will fall off. I don't have to quiet him. He hardly ever utters a cry. He is always thinking about something. He is a patient, good little baby. Smoke? I always smoke from three till five Sunday afternoons, and in New York the other day I smoked a week, day and night. But when Livy is well, I smoke only those two hours on Sunday. I'm boss of the habit now, and shall never let it boss me any more. Originally, I quit solely on Livy's account. Not that I believe there was the faintest reason in the matter, but just as I would deprive myself of sugar in my coffee if she wished it, or quit wearing socks if she thought them immoral. And I stick to it yet on Livy's account, and shall always continue to do so, without a pang. But somehow it seems a pity that you quit, for Mrs. T. didn't mind it if I remember rightly. Ah, it is turning one's back upon a kindly providence to spurn away from us the good creature he sent to make the breath of life a luxury as well as a necessity, enjoyable as well as useful, to go and quit smoking when then ain't any sufficient excuse for it. Why, my old boy, when they used to tell me I would shorten my life ten years by smoking, they little knew the devotee they were wasting their puerile word upon. They little knew how trivial and valueless I would regard a decade that had no smoking in it. But I won't persuade you, Twitchell. I won't until I see you again. But then we'll smoke for a week together, and then shut off again. I would have gone to Hartford from New York last Saturday, but I got so homesick I couldn't. But maybe I'll come soon. No, sir. Catch me in the metropolis again to get homesick. I didn't know Warner had a book out. We send oceans and continents of love. I have worked myself down today. Yours always, Mark. With his establishment in Buffalo, Clemens, as already noted, had persuaded his sister, now a widow, and his mother to settle in Fredonia, not far away. Later he had found a position for Orion as editor of a small paper which Bliss had established. What with these several diversions and the sorrows and sicknesses of his own household, we can readily imagine that literary work had been performed under difficulties. Certainly humorous writing under such disturbing conditions could not have been easy, nor could we expect him to accept an invitation to be present 
and make a comic speech at an agricultural dinner even though horace greeley would preside however he sent to the secretary of the association a letter which might be read at the gathering to a b crandall in woodbury falls new york to be read at an agricultural dinner buffalo december twenty sixth eighteen seventy gentlemen i thank you very much for your invitation to the agricultural dinner and would promptly accept it and as promptly be there but for the fact that mr greeley is very busy this month and has requested me to clandestinely continue for him in the tribune the articles what i know about farming consequently the necessity of explaining to the readers of that journal why buttermilk cannot be manufactured profitably at eight cents a quart out of butter that costs sixty cents a pound compels my stay at home until the article is written with reiterated thanks i am yours truly mark twain in this letter mark twain made the usual mistake as to the title of the greeley farming series what i know of farming being the correct form the buffalo express under mark twain's management had become a sort of repository for humorous efforts, often of an indifferent order. Some of these things, signed by nom de plumes, were charged to Mark Twain. When Bret Hart's heathen Chinee devastated the country and was so widely parodied, an imitation of it entitled Three Aces and signed Carl Bing was printed in the Express. Thomas Bailey Aldrich, then editor of Every Saturday, had not met Mark Twain, and, noticing the verses printed in the exchanges over his signature, was one of those who accepted them as Mark Twain's work. He wrote rather an uncomplimentary note in Every Saturday concerning the poem and its authorship, characterizing it as a feeble imitation of Bret Hart's heathen Chinee. Clemens promptly protested to Aldrich, then as promptly regretted having done so, feeling that he was making too much of a small matter. Hurriedly, he sent a second brief note. To Thomas Bailey Aldrich, editor of Every Saturday, Boston, Massachusetts, Buffalo, January 22, 1870. Dear Sir, Please do not publish the note I sent you the other day about High Slocum's plagiarism entitled Three Aces. It is not important enough for such a long paragraph. Webb writes me that he has put in a paragraph about it, too, and I have requested him to suppress it. If you would simply state, in a line and a half under literary notes, that you mistook one high slocum, no, nah, it was one Carl Bing, I perceive, Carl Bing for Mark Twain, and that it was the former who wrote the plagiarism entitled Three Aces, I think that would do a fair justice without any unseemly display but it is hard to be accused of plagiarism a crime i never have committed in my life yours truly mark twain but this came too late aldrich replied that he could not be prevented from doing him justice as forty two thousand copies of the first note with the editor's apology duly appended were already in press he would withdraw his apology in the next number of every Saturday, if Mark Twain said so. 
Mark Twain's response this time assumed the proportions of a letter. To Thomas Bailey Aldrich in Boston, 472 Delaware Street, Buffalo, January 28. Dear Mr. Aldrich, No, indeed. Don't take back the apology. Hang it, I don't want to abuse a man's civility merely because he gives me the chance. I hear a good deal about doing things on the spur of the moment. I invariably regret the things I do on the spur of the moment. That disclaimer of mine was a case in point. I am ashamed every time I think of my bursting out before an unconcerned public with that bombastic powwow about burning publishers' letters and all that sort of imbecility and about my not being an imitator, etc. Who would find out that I am a natural fool if I kept always cool and never let nature come to the surface? Nobody. But I did hate to be accused of plagiarizing Bret Hart, who trimmed and trained and schooled me patiently until he changed me from an awkward utterer of coarse grotesquenesses to a writer of paragraphs and chapters that have found a certain favor in the eyes of even some of the very decentest people in the land. And this grateful remembrance of mine ought to be worth its face, seeing that Brett broke our long friendship a year ago without any cause or provocation that I am aware of. Well, it is funny, the reminiscences that glare out from murky corners of one's memory now and then without warning. Just at this moment a picture flits before me. Scene. Private room in Barnum's Restaurant, Virginia, Nevada. Present. Artemis Ward, Joseph T. Goodman, editor and proprietor Daily Enterprise, and Dan DeQuill and myself, reporters for same. Remnants of the feast thin and scattering, but such tautology and repetition of empty bottles everywhere visible as to be offensive to the sensitive eye. Time, 2.30 a.m. Artemis thickly reciting a poem about a certain infant you wrote of, and interrupting himself, and being interrupted every few lines by poundings of the table, and shouts of, Splendid by Chosey. Finally, a long, vociferous, pondiferous, and vitreous jingling of applause announces the conclusion. And then Artemis, Let every man that loves his fellow-man, and appreciates a poet that loves his fellow-man, stand up. Stand up and drink health and long life to Thomas Bailey Aldrich, and drink it standing. On all hands fervent, enthusiastic, and sincerely honest attempts to comply. Then Artemis, Well, consider it standing, and drink it just as ya, which was done. You must excuse all this stuff from a stranger, for the present, and when I see you, I will apologize in full. Do you know the prettiest fancy and the neatest that ever shot through Hart's brain? It was this. When they were trying to decide upon a vignette for the cover of the Overland, a grizzly bear of the arms of the state of California was chosen. Now Brass carved him, and the page was printed, with him in it, looking thus. Rude sketch of a grizzly bear. As a bear, he was a success. He was a good bear. But then, it was objected that he was an objectless bear, 
a bear that meant nothing in particular, signified nothing, simply stood there snarling over his shoulder at nothing, and was painfully and manifestly a boorish and ill-natured intruder upon the fair page. All hands said that. None was satisfied. They hated badly to give him up, and yet they hated as much to have him there when there was no paint to him. But presently Hart took a pencil and drew these two simple lines under his feet, and behold he was a magnificent success. The ancient symbol of California's savagery snarling at the approaching type of high and progressive civilization, the first overland locomotive. Sketch of a small section of railway track. I just think that was nothing less than inspiration itself. Once more I apologize, and this time I do it standing. Yours truly, Samuel L. Clemens. The two simple lines, of course, were the train rails under the bear's feet, and completed the striking cover design of the Overland Monthly. The brief controversy over the three aces was the beginning of long and happy friendship between Aldrich and Mark Twain. Howells, Aldrich, Twitchell, and Charles Dudley Warner, these were Mark Twain's intimates, men that he loved, each for his own special charm and worth. Aldrich he considered the most brilliant of living men. In his reply to Clemens' letter, Aldrich declared that he was glad now that, for the sake of such a letter, he had accused him falsely, and added, Memorandum. Always abuse people. When you come to Boston, if you do not make your presence manifest to me, I'll put in a blank in every Saturday, to the effect that, though you are generally known as Mark Twain, your favorite nom de plume is Barry Gray. Clemens did not fail to let Aldrich know when he was in Boston again, and the little coterie of younger writers foregathered to give him welcome. Buffalo agreed with neither Mrs. Clemens nor the baby. What with nursing and anguish of mind, Mark Twain found that he could do nothing on the new book, and that he must give up his magazine department. He had lost interest in his paper and his surroundings in general. Journalism and authorship are poor yoke-mates. To Orion Clemens, at this time editing Bliss's paper at Hartford, he explained the situation. To Orion Clemens in Hartford, Buffalo, 4th, 1871. My dear brother, what I wanted of the liar sketch was to work it into the California book, which I shall do. But day before yesterday I concluded to go out of the galaxy on the strength of it, so I have turned it into the last memoranda I shall ever write, and publish it as a specimen chapter of my forthcoming book. I have written the galaxy people that I will never furnish them another article, long or short, for any price but $500 cash, and have requested them not to ask me for contributions any more, even at that price. I hope that lets them out, for I will stick to that. Now do try and leave me clear out of the publisher for the present. I am endangering my reputation by writing too much. I want to get out of the public view for a while. I am still nursing Livy night and day and cannot write anything. I am nearly worn out. 
we shall go to elmira ten days hence if livy can travel on a mattress then and stay there till i finish the california book say three months but i can't begin work right away when i get there must have a week's rest for i have been through thirty days terrific siege that makes it after the middle of march before i can go fairly to work and then i'll have to hump myself and not lose a moment you and bliss just put yourselves in my place and you will see that my hands are full and more than full when i told bliss in new york that i would write something for the publisher i could not know that i was just about to lose fifty days do you see the difference it makes just as soon as ever i can i will send some of the book manuscript but right in the first chapter i have got to alter the whole style of one of my characters and rewrite him clear through to where i am now it is no fool of a job i can tell you but the book will be greatly bettered by it hold on a few days four or five and i will see if i can get a few chapters fixed to send to bliss i have offered this dwelling-house and the express for sale and when we go to elmira we leave here for good i shall not select a new home till the book is finished but we have little doubt that hartford will be the place we are almost certain of that ask bliss how it would be to ship our furniture to hartford rent an upper room in a building and unbox it and store it there where somebody can frequently look after it is not the idea good the furniture is worth ten thousand dollars or twelve thousand dollars and must not be jammed into any kind of a place and left unattended to for a year the first man that offers twenty five thousand dollars for our house can take it it costs that what are taxes there here all bunched together of all kinds they are seven per cent simply ruin the things you have written in the publisher are tip-top in haste your brother sam there are no further letters until the end of april by which time the situation had improved clemens had sold his interest in the express though at a loss had severed his magazine connection and was located at quarry farm on a beautiful hilltop above elmira the home of mrs clemens sister mrs theodore crane the pure air and rest of that happy place where they were to spend so many idyllic summers had proved beneficial to the sick ones and work on the new book progressed in consequence then mark twain's old editor joe goodman came from virginia city for a visit and his advice and encouragement were of the greatest value clemens even offered to engage goodman on a salary to remain until he had finished his book goodman declined the salary but extended his visit and mark twain at last seems to have found himself working under ideal conditions he jubilantly reported his progress to elijah bliss in hartford elmira monday may fifteenth eighteen seventy one friend bliss yours received enclosing check for seven hundred three dollars thirty five cents the old innocence holds out handsomely i have manuscript enough on hand now to make allowing for engravings about four hundred pages of the book consequently am two-thirds done 
I intended to run up to Hartford about the middle of the week and take it along, because it has chapters in it that ought by all means to be in the prospectus, but I find myself so thoroughly interested in my work now, a thing I have not experienced for months, that I can't bear to lose a single moment of the inspiration. So I will stay here and peg away as long as it lasts. My present idea is to write as much more as I have already written, and then cull from the mass the very best chapters and discard the rest. I am not half as well satisfied with the first part of the book as I am with what I am writing now. When I get it done, I want to see the man who will begin to read it and not finish it. If it falls short of the innocence in any respect, I shall lose my guess. When I was writing The Innocence, my daily stunt was thirty pages of manuscript, and I hardly ever got beyond it. But I have gone over that nearly every day for the last ten. That shows that I am writing with a red-hot interest. Nothing grieves me now, nothing troubles me, nothing bothers me or gets my attention. I don't think of anything but the book, and I don't have an hour's unhappiness about anything, and don't care two cents whether school keeps or not. It will be a bully book. If I keep up my present lick three weeks more, I shall be able and willing to scratch out half of the chapters of the Overland narrative, and shall do it. You do not mention having received my second batch of manuscript, sent a week or two ago, about a hundred pages. If you want to issue a prospectus and go right to canvassing, say the word and I will forward some more manuscript, or send it by hand, special messenger. Whatever chapters you think are unquestionably good, we will retain, of course, so they can go into a prospectus as well one time as another. The book will be done soon now. I have twelve hundred pages of manuscript already written, and am now writing two hundred a week, more than that, in fact during the past week wrote twenty-three one day, then thirty, thirty-three, thirty-five, fifty-two, and sixty-five. How's that? It will be a starchy book, and should be full of snappy pictures, especially pictures worked in with the letterpress. The dedication will be worth the price of the volume. Thus, to the late Kane, this book is dedicated. Not on account of respect for his memory, for it merits little respect, not on account of sympathy with him, for his bloody deed placed him without the pale of sympathy, strictly speaking, but out of a mere human commiseration for him that it was his misfortune to live in a dark age that knew not the beneficent insanity plea. I think it would do. Yours, Clemens. P.S. The reaction is beginning, and my stock is looking up. I am getting the bulliest offers for books and almanacs, am flooded with lecture invitations, and one periodical offers me $6,000 cash for twelve articles, of any length and on any subject, treated humorously or otherwise. The suggested dedication to the late Kane may have been the humoristic impulse of the moment. At all events, it did not materialize. Clemens' enthusiasm for his work was such that he agreed with Redpath to return to the platform that autumn, and he began at once writing lectures. 
his disposal of the buffalo paper had left him considerably in debt and platforming was a sure and quick method of retrenchment more than once in the years ahead mark twain would return to travel and one night stands to lift a burden of debt brief letters to redpath of this time have an interest and even a humor of their own letters to james redpath in boston elmira june twenty seven eighteen seventy one dear red wrote another lecture a third one today it is the one i am going to deliver i think i shall call it reminiscences of some pleasant characters whom i have met or should the whom be left out it covers my whole acquaintance kings lunatics idiots and all suppose you give the item a start in the boston papers if i write fifty lectures i shall only choose one and talk that one only no sir don't you put that scarecrow portrait from the galaxy in i won't stand that nightmare yours mark elmira july ten eighteen seventy one dear redpath i never made a success of a lecture delivered in a church yet people are afraid to laugh in a church they can't be made to do it in any possible way success to false carbuncle and many happy returns yours mark to mr fall in boston elmira new york july twenty eighteen seventy one friend fall redpath tells me to blow up here goes i wanted you to scare rondout off with a big price a hundred twenty five dollars ain't big i got a hundred dollars the first time i ever talked there and now they have a much larger haul it is a hard town to get to i run a chance of getting caught by the ice and missing next engagement make the price a hundred fifty dollars and let them draw out yours mark letters to james redpath in boston hartford tuesday august eighth eighteen seventy one dear red i am different from other women my mind changes oftener people who have no mind can easily be steadfast and firm but when a man is loaded down to the gods with it as i am every heavy sea of foreboding or inclination maybe of indolence shifts the cargo see therefore if you will notice one week i am likely to give rigid instructions to confine me to new england next week send me to arizona the next week withdraw my name the next week give you full untrammeled swing and the week following modify it you must try to keep the run of my mind redpath it is your business being the agent and it always was too many for me it appears to me to be one of the finest pieces of mechanism i have ever met with now about the west this week i am willing that you shall retain all the western engagements but what i shall want next week is still with god let us not profane the mysteries with soiled hands and prying eyes of sin yours mark p s shall be here two weeks we'll run up there when nasby comes elmira new york 
September 15, 1871. Dear Redpath, I wish you would get me released from the lecture at Buffalo. I mortally hate that society there, and I don't doubt they hired me. I once gave them a packed house free of charge, and they never even had the common politeness to thank me. They left me to shift for myself, too, a la Bret Hart at Harvard. Get me rid of Buffalo. Otherwise, I'll have no recourse left but to get sick the day I lecture there. I can get sick easy enough by the simple process of saying the word. Well, never mind what word. I'm not going to lecture there. Yours, Mark. Buffalo, September 26, 1871. Dear Redpath, we have thought it all over and decided that we can't possibly talk after February 2. We shall take up our residence in Hartford six days from now. Yours, Mark. End of section 11. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.